Coming up on today's show, we're breaking down the Brian Flores lawsuit and the Rooney Rule. I would love more black head coaches. I would love more black everything in a league that is 70% black on the field. We got Super Bowl takes and predictions and some prop bets with the special guests. Maybe both teams' running games are going to work early on, and both coaches, Taylor and McVay, will lean on that. So I'd like uh, for first touchdown in the uh, 20, 21 to 30 range. All of that and much, much more on the Who Day Nation's official number one podcast, the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the world famous Super Bowl edition of the Tom and Hawk Football Show, presented by the great folks over at Amazon Music. I'm Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by the 10-time Pro Bowler, zero-time Super Bowler, but the best offensive lineman and the first offensive lineman in NFL history, Joe Thomas. Joe, what's up, man? Hey, man, uh, not too much. You forgot my most important title, which is uh, Dr. Doolittle, because we're not creating Emmy Award-winning podcasts. (laughs) I'm saving the lives of little puppies running down the highway in Muscaday, Wisconsin. So uh, it's been a big day already, and it's only getting bigger just being able to talk to you, my friend. You're doing God's work, man, and and, and we all appreciate (laughs) it. Saving little puppies off the highway. Um, We got a lot of stuff to get to. I mean, it's Super Bowl week, so everyone and their mother are doing podcasts about the Rams Mm -hmm. and the Bengals. We both know the Bengals are going to win. We will get into that more a little later. But the biggest topic, which is crazy, is still this Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL where he accuses them of racial discrimination and racist hiring practices around NFL coaching. He details so many things in this lawsuit, including saying that the Miami Dolphins owner, Stephen Ross, offer him six figures to lose games so that the team could have a better draft position. Got into it a little bit on the minicast, but here's an opportunity for us to really dig deep into the Brian Flores situation, Joe. So I'll I'll give you the floor first. What do you got? Well, it's interesting. I I think we talked a little bit yesterday about how these to me are kind of two issues. One is like being paid to throw and Mm -hmm. fix games. Like obviously that's a big no, no in the NFL. And that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That, and that goes way beyond um, taking a long-term approach to a rebuild, which is kind of what the Browns situation was, which was, Hey, we don't think we can win the Super Bowl this year. And the structure of the NFL is set up. Therefore, if you are the worst team in the NFL or the worse you are, the better your draft pick is. And the less money that you spend in, uh, under your salary cap this year, um, you're allowed to ro- roll over that extra money that you don't spend mm-hmm. uh, up into the salary cap to future seasons. And so if you don't spend all of your salary cap money, you can kind of save money from years that you don't think you're going to be really good um, and save for years that you think you are going to be really good. And so kind of those structures set up uh, a strategy in Cleveland mm-hmm. that was a long-term rebuilding process where um, the first couple of years, they were more interested in getting young players experience. Um, and they were more interested in kind of saving those resources and those draft picks for years three and four, where they felt like they could really surge and be playoff and Super Bowl contenders. Yeah. Um, Different in Miami, where the coach, where the owner was like, "Hey, coach, uh, I will actually pay you to lose." Mm, they actually had a pretty good team, and Brian Flores had two winning seasons, which leads to the second point. Like Flores did an amazing job, mm-hmm. in my opinion, in two years when he didn't really have 
tier one or even really tier two quarterback play. Um, they he was able to make a team competitive both yeah. those seasons. He did a lot of great things, including he had the Patriots number, which is not something that uh, a lot of teams or coaches can say. It's rare. Air. Um, and he was still fired, and then uh, had an opportunity with the New York Giants, as everybody knows. Um, but it turned out that the interview was a sham, merely to comply with the Rooney Rule. Um, and he found out in the most tragic and heartbreaking way learning from Bill Belichick, his mentor, that um, with a text message that was mistakenly for Brian Dayball, but yes. uh, it was Black Brian instead of White Brian that mm. he was texting. Classic. And Classic he texted Black up. Brian, hey, you got the job. Black Brian. Classic mistake. It was meant for White Brian. And then Brian Flores, unfortunately, learned the really sad state of the situation where he did not get the job and he was going into an interview that he had no chance of getting the job. And it was merely to comply with the Rooney rule, which mm. says that every franchise, if they have an open GM front office head coach type position, you have to interview at least one minority. Um, so I want to hear uh, just your general thoughts on that situation, but also dig deeper on maybe the, the Rooney rule in general. I think, I think it's all just super interesting top to bottom. Number one, I wish, um belichick was more like uh you and i because i would have had him save under black brian white brian <laughs> at least yeah. have like the the black emoji guy versus like the white emoji guy so he didn't make that mistake if if he didn't have a flip phone and could use emojis <laughs> then we wouldn't be in this situation number one number two <laughs> i mean it is it is interesting because the kind of ironic part is like you know he sues the nfl and says hey you have a problem with how and how often you give black candidates an opportunity to be head coach. And that's not a surprise to, I don't think to anybody we've literally, there's literally a rule in place <laughs> to mitigate and try to help said problem. Right. And that's, I think that's the interesting part of it all. Just he hearing Brian Flores talk, man, it's going to be really hard for him to get a head coaching job in the league. I'm not saying it's impossible, but as we both know, for people that litigate against the NFL, they typically, uh, have a very hard time trying to go back and work in the NFL. And he said as such that that's what he fully expected, but he just wanted it to change. And it is a very sad thing for someone like Brian Flores. If you can imagine that there's only been 21 head coaches in the history of the National Football League um, out of like, I think, 560 in a league that is sev almost 75% African-American for him to finally get to that point mm. and be successful and still get fired, man. I mean, it's like finding out that Santa mm. Claus isn't real at 40-something years old. It really is a disheartening thing that everything you've worked for, everything you believed in to this point, that if you just got there, right, and you hear, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you fight through, you do all these things and you still get there and you are successful and it still doesn't matter. That kind of feels like a little bit, I was smoking gun, you know, the interesting part just personally for us, because this is something we've talked about for years, right? I, I even feel weird beating, um, going over the same talking points, because I mean, you know, we are who we are. We've, we've literally been pounding this drum for years, not only in this podcast, just professionally, because we, we've been a part of this. But it is interesting to see the three faces <laughs> surrounding this. <laughs> Cleveland offensive coordinator. Brian yep. Dayball, yep. your guy. Mm -hmm. Mike McDaniel. Yep. Right. My guy and Josh McCown, our guy, <laughs> being mm -hmm. surrounding this this kind of whole whole controversy, which I just thought was pretty 
pretty hilarious. But here's the thing about Brian Flores. Here's what here's what I love. Besides all the, the things that he's, he's talked about that, um, you know, we can't speak to Stephen Ross paying to lose games, which people get into because there's legal implications there. If the league feels like mm-hmm. their, inc- their uh, integrity of the game has been compromised, yeah. they could prove that. There might be some heads rolling. Yeah, because I think that was, to me, that's sort of the root um, of the issue right now with these sham interviews is that the owners wanted Mm -hmm. to make everybody stop focusing on the fact that we have hardly any black head coaches in a league that's three quarters black. And typically the pipeline goes from player Mm -hmm. to coach, working your way up the ladder as uh, an assistant coach to a coordinator to a head coach. But for some reason, that pipeline Mm. is not functioning the same way for black players as it is for white players. And so the NFL came up with this Rooney rule to try to fix that problem. But it's difficult to legislate in your heart and intentions. And I think that's what we're seeing. And it's made the situation, in my opinion, in some ways a little bit worse mm. because now black head coaches feel that potentially any interview they walk into, they're always questioning, is this a real interview or are they just doing this to comply with the Rooney rule? And it almost like deters motivation and hope that me as a black coach, obviously I am a black coach. You can tell. Yeah, obviously. It's my, your emoji by your name on my phone proves that, but go ahead. <laughs> That's right it would deter me from wanting to seek out those positions and those Mm -hmm. interviews just for fear that I was sort of like the puppet that they were bringing in just to check the box so that they could go hire the guy they wanted. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, (laughs) I think the Rooney rule, I don't think the Rooney rule is bad. Okay. So here's my analogy. All right. My breath stinks, right? Let's, let's say my breath stinks. You (laughs) go and buy me. Yeah. I was going to tell you that. You you go and buy me some mouthwash, right? Mm -hmm. That's step one. I have the mouthwash. Oh, thanks, Joe, for the mouthwash. You're like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Now we go out. What is going to make me use the mouthwash? Just because you got it for me, isn't mm-hmm. there's not really a motivation if I don't really know. Now we go out and a girl is like, yo, your fucking breath is horrendous. That's mm-hmm. going to push me over the edge because I don't want everyone here thinking my breath stinks. So now I'm going to use mm-hmm. the mouthwash you put in front of me. Now I'm glad mm-hmm. that you gave it to me, right? So now I don't have to go find it. Now, that sounds very weird. And I'm trying to rope mm-hmm. this all in. Follow me here. The Rooney rule in and of itself, I think was a great thing in theory. But if the Rooney rule is the mouthwash, what was going to make them use the mouthwash, right? It's only step one in that process. The Flores Mm -hmm. lawsuit Mm -hmm. may very well be the person at the party yelling to everyone that the owners in the NFL's breast Mm -hmm. stinks. And that's going to make them, because here's what's happening, Joe. This is the research. Since a week ago, we're a week I think a day over a week um, since Brian Flores came out with the lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Since then, are you ready? Ready. 10 NFL coordinators, black coordinators have been hired and announced. Terrell Austin, Alan Williams, Rich Hightower, Patrick Graham, Tyke Tolbert, Pep Hamilton, uh, Curtis Minkins, Clint Hurt, uh, Ijaro Arrow. And Anthony Lynn, who is also an associate head coach. So one associate head coach and Anthony Lynn, uh, a head coach in Lovey Smith, Mike McDaniel, whose father is black. He's been hired as the Miami Dolphins head coach. Sashi Brown has been named the president of the Baltimore Ravens. Brandon Brown and Champ Kelly have both become assistant general managers for the New York Giants and the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, I don't know what the stats are. 
I don't know if there's been a week that upwards of, of 20 black high-ranking executives have been hired in the NFL, but I can promise you a lot of these interviews were probably done by the Rooney Rule, but that's why what Flores has done is very sacrificial and important because this is how you force the hand. Because now, if you're on the coaches in your system that, by all accounts, had a good chance of getting another head coaching job, has done well and in the middle of his prime, if he forces you to say, hey, this is not, not enough, well, action starts to happen after that. So I don't know if there's been a week where there's been that many high-ranking African-Americans hired in the NFL, but I feel like that is a direct correlation to what Brian Flores has done. Do you feel like the Rooney rule needs to be tweaked? Because my initial thought as I'm as I'm thinking about all of this is that right now there's obviously the 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 issue of the sham interview, right? That has been going on and it clearly was going on with the, the Flores situation in New York. Mm -hmm. And my thought is like the Flores interview, just like you so eloquently described, was the girl telling you your breath stinks, right? Yep. And the NFL owners woke up and I think they took notice. And you saw that in all the black hirings that you just mentioned. By the way, a lot of former Cleveland Browns on that list. There was a lot of names I recognize working <laughs> for. Um, and my thought is like, how do we remove this feeling as a black coach or a black executive of me being used to satisfy the Rooney rule? And my thought was, instead of making it a rule where you're punished if you don't follow it, let's just make it a guideline. And therefore... It's not going to have that appearance of it being a sham if they bring in a black candidate. But because the girl already told the person, Andrew mm -hmm. Hawkins, that his breath stinks, the owners have hopefully realized the importance of this issue and now are going to be taking those things and those issues much more seriously, the discrimination within their hiring practices. And you don't need a rule to force you to necessarily interview black candidates when you have one of those high-ranking positions available yeah i mean i honestly i wish i could tell you i knew what the uh solution was so that's maybe maybe like step one nobody wants to be told who to hire and i should also point out that this isn't uh this isn't just an nfl issue i mean it's the one the hot button one we talk about but if you look at every sports company whose main source of income is around the nba in the nfl and you look at the racial makeup of their employees it's not going to be much different than the NFL coaches right now, right? And I don't think, you know, we're always, oh, there's nobody available. And this is just from someone, again, who has, prior to my NFL career and, and this, I spent years trying to get just my foot in the door somewhere. And I know I was capable. I know I had the resume to do it. I know I had the, you know, this is my own personal experience. That's what every company looks around there. So I, I think this is more of a, a microcosm of sports in general that the people that, again, make the majority of their revenue aren't tasked with also trying their best to diversify their workforces the same way that it is on the field, right? And not to, not to match those statistics, but literally more than, you know, the one of 32 that, you know, we're all talking about from an NFL coaching perspective. So, Hawk, I think one of the things that the NFL could do moving forward now, because it seems like the Rooney Rule has uh, great intentions. Sometimes it causes some unintended consequences like the sham interviews. But now that hopefully the NFL owners are taking 
this discrimination in their hiring process a little bit more seriously, one of the big things that I think they, they could do that would have a huge impact on allowing this pipeline for white and black players and coaches to be more equal would be to get more black faces in the ownership groups that are making these critical decisions when they are hiring the general manager and coaches, because you talked about it a little bit before, and we've talked about it on this podcast with the nepotism in the coaching world and just hiring practices in general. And so when you're an owner, like the biggest decision that you get to make with your team is typically who you're hiring as head coach. And you want to have a partnership and a really super close, almost a family type relationship with that person. And if you didn't grow up with a lot of black people, either in your family or in your friend group or your circle of trusted advisors, when it comes time to make that deeply personal decision as who you're hiring for a head coach, subconsciously, you're going to skew towards people that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with. And if you don't have a lot of black people that have been involved in your life up until that point, you're probably not going to skew towards the, the person who maybe has a great resume, just like the other person, but one person is black and one person is white. And so I think, but here, here here's my thing about the ownership though. I would love black ownership. I would love more black head coaches. I would love more black everything in a league that is 70% black on the field. There is so much work to be done, Joe. Pick someone you think is prime position to be the first black owner. Couple of names. So who is the um, the black entrepreneur that started? Robert Smith. Um, yes, Robert Smith, right. He's the one that, all. his the name that always comes up because I think, is it true that he's the richest uh, black person in America? $6.7 like billion dollar net worth. So he's got plenty of money to buy several teams. Yes. So, and he's from Denver and his name came up when the Broncos um, uh, put the news out that they were uh, ready to sell the team. I think he's since come out and said he doesn't plan on bidding on the Broncos. Um, Hmm. But let's say that is a situation or let's say Jay-Z, who is another name that's always get floated around and another billionaire. And just to be clear, you don't have to have the bank account that can buy the entire team. Like you just got to have enough money to be able the to buy interest. like a significant equity yeah. stage. Uh, 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 and then whoever is owning those franchises, just bringing black faces into the ownership group allows you a little bit more diversity of thought during these hiring processes. And also when they get together in these owners meetings that are behind mm-hmm. closed doors, like diversity of thought is a great thing. Anytime you're making a decision in a group or a business setting, because if everybody looks like me, they might all have my own perspective. And then you're going to have these huge blind spots that you don't even realize that are hurting your company or in this case, your team or the NFL as a whole. I think it would be a great, great, great development because evolution doesn't just happen, right? You don't choose to evolve. You're forced to evolve, right? By necessity. Hmm. Like It's not like a choice of being like, hey, Let's do this thing now. No, it's like to survive, to stay afloat, to compete, you evolve. And so even in the agency business, there's always been black agents. I remember when my brother was coming out in the draft in like 1998, Mm -hmm. there wasn't a lot. There was like a couple and, you know, they, not a lot of them even came from, from sports at the time as a background. Mm -hmm. But I remember when Jay-Z started his sports agency, it was amongst the agents. They were fearful that people would just want to go sign with Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. And they were right because Jay Z <laughs> is fucking cool, right? And if all things are equal, meaning the business matches up, 
which clearly it is. He's a great businessman. Why wouldn't I want to go be with the cool agency or at least mm -hmm. the agency with the diversity that I'm used to as a person in my normal mm -hmm. life? And so what that did was that bred other agencies. And you're probably seeing now, not probably, you're seeing more black agents in the sports business than you ever have, mm -hmm. right? You look at what Rich Paul has done on the basketball mm -hmm. side. And it's forced every agency that was at the time predominantly white male to diversify, to compete, to make sure that if that's something, oh, we realize players value that all of a mm -hmm. sudden. Well, in ownership, I think it would be a very similar process. Could you imagine if Jay-Z owned a team and if all things are equal? Yeah, no doubt. All things are equal, Joe. You know, who do you think? A 27-year-old professional football player from the inner city, if all things are equal, being honest, who do you think he's going to go play for? Who is cool to play for? Well, I, I don't care if uh, he's from the inner city or from the rough streets of suburban Brookfield, Wisconsin. <laughs> like, if all things are equal, I want to play for Jay-Z. I'm sure there's some perks in there. Like, Come on. I'm not a big Jay-Z fan. I know it's probably a surprise to you, but, like, he's got some really good music that appeal to all people and he certainly has connections within the entertainment business i mean definitely help you out a little bit and you know when people are picking agents or financial advisors whoever that is a lot of times everything is like fairly equal because the nfl maxes out hey agents can only charge three percent so you can compete on price a little bit but at some point like they're both really good agents that are going to do a great job negotiating your contract but this guy gives me a lot more perks than this guy because Dude is Jay-Z and he He's can hook me up with a lot of cool stuff and open a lot of doors that this person can't. And if you have somebody of that gravitas in the ownership group, players are going to be like, hey, the money is pretty equal. Or in the case of like high-end quarterbacks or like some of the marquee positions, they're making so much money that a million or two per year, it doesn't, it's like a drop in the bucket for these guys. And so therefore. I'd rather play for Jay-Z and play for a little bit less money because he's going to be hanging around the team. He's going to open up all sorts of doors for me, maybe post-career and things that I'm interested in. And so if I'm in the ownership group, right, if I'm one of those 31 owners because the Green Bay Packers are publicly owned, so they're not, you know, technically they don't have an owner per se. Um, mm -hmm. But if I'm one of those 31 owners, I would look at this situation as an enormous opportunity for the NFL to get bigger and better and stronger and more powerful than they already are. Instead of seeing diversity and trying to include more black coaches and more black people in ownership as like some type of barrier that's going to hurt my business model, they should look at it as an enormous opportunity where it could actually help your business model. It can become a competitive advantage for the people that are willing to bring more black faces into their ownership group because of all the things that you mentioned. If to three quarters of the league is black and Jay-Z who I imagine a lot of the black players in the NFL know who Jay-Z is and think he's yeah. probably pretty cool are going <laughs> to probably think, Hey, if he's one of the owners in this team, like that is a pretty persuasive argument as to why I would want to sign or be part of this organization. Now put yourself as one of the other owners that has to compete for players in free agency against Jay-Z. Yeah. Right. So that's probably <laughs> exactly. has some, you no know, doubt. psychologically, like, hey, we're going to have to add probably a lot at the right time because nobody, they're not going to want, I don't think they want to go through three years of losing players to Jay-Z. I, I agree. Here's my question. Why haven't NFL owners started already? Like, you don't need to mandate anything. You don't need to have some rule out there. Why aren't they aggressively recruiting wealthy black 
businessmen, entrepreneurs, rich black people in America that are cool also to be part of the ownership group. Mm -hmm. Like we've seen it a little bit in some of the other sports, uh, baseball um, and basketball. But for some reason, we haven't seen that yet in football. It's like the group of owners, it's such a tight knit club that they don't want to invite other people into that they're worried about doing that. And it just seems like it could be such an enormous advantage that they would be racing to bring in people like that because of how much better and what a competitive advantage it would provide for their organization. There are venture venture capital firms who are buying into sports teams because it's such a lucrative business and it's almost guaranteed. It's recession proof. Like it doesn't matter what the situation of the country is in. People love sports and it continues to thrive and continues to grow across all of it. The thing about football ownership is these are family businesses. They don't view it as, hey, we're we're trying to market this. This is this is mom and pop. This is right. you know, that's a great point. my grandson is going to own this team. His grandson is going to own this team. And that's that's a lot of the reasons why they get into it. So in that mm-hmm. version of it, mm-hmm. no, you don't want to bring anybody into something that you've worked like you think is for you and your family. This is not a yeah, it's it's not a it's not a a mm-hmm. publicly traded company. Not only that, you could have a hundred billion dollars and still not become an NFL owner because yes. we have to choose you to come in. This isn't right. eBay. I don't care how much money you have. We have to all collectively decide we want you into the club. And so it's very old school. And until some of those barriers get broken down, these problems kind of will will continue to persist. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, it's. It makes all the logical sense in the world. But as I told you, evolution doesn't, you don't choose to uh, evolve. Yeah. Like it's, you're forced to do it. Here, here's my hope. My hope is that the Brian Flores lawsuit is a wake up call, which the early indications by the hirings that we've seen in the last week, hopefully that's an indication that it was the wake up call that the mm-hmm. ownership in the NFL needed. Um, and my other hope is that, and I'm pretty sure about this one, is that the NFL owners listen to this podcast and they realize what an incredible advantage it would be to have some black faces in your ownership group from a competitive standpoint, like not to mention all the positive PR and like the ancillary benefits, but like just from a wins and losses on the field and recruiting better talent and better players to be able to involve a more diverse group into your ownership would make a huge benefit and it would make the league better as a whole. And then you wouldn't have these enormous discrimination lawsuits and topics of conversation becoming up the week of the Super Bowl, the biggest week in the NFL calendar. Yeah. We've gone really deep on this and I'm sure we'll continue to have this conversation for a long time, specifically on the show. Cause we've been mm-hmm. having this conversation for years, but let's talk a little Super Bowl uh, before we have a guest coming in to talk more Super Bowl from a different perspective. But in this version of it, let's just talk about the game. We got the Bengals taking on the Rams. The Rams are the favorite. I feel like the everyone's kind of counted the Bengals as the underdog. It's like I, I feel a lot of people picking with their heart because I'm picking the Bengals, and I know it's because I'm biased. I'm not oblivious to that. But I am shocked to see how many people are riding with Cincinnati and the Houday Nation, knowing what they're going up against and the amount of talent that the Los Angeles Rams yeah. I want to hear from your football expertise and perspective, Joe. Who do you have winning this? And give me, you know, quickly some points why. 
So I'm looking at this game with a little less bias than you, but still a little bias. I'm still a little bit okay. biased because I do want the Bengals to win, and I really like Joe mm-hmm. Burrow. He's been fun to watch, and he's a fun guy to cheer for because he's got just enough confidence where it's not too much where he, it feels like he's cocky. But yeah, um, I think there's going to be moments of high stress in this game down down the stretch, and I think Joe Burrow is able to overcome that because. Moments of stress and anxiety, you become more of who you are Mm. or more of who you are is revealed. And I think Joe Burrow wins in the who is more cool under pressure uh, gauge. But more than anything, I think the Bengals having two weeks to try to figure out how to deal with Aaron Donald and Von Miller from a schematic standpoint, they're going to have not just the first 15 plays scripted. They're going to have the entire game scripted to be able to protect that offensive line against the pass rush of Aaron Donald and Von Miller. And I think that ability to have those two weeks to prepare for those two guys and that huge imbalance uh, between the two teams, because across the board, it's pretty equal receivers, DBs, you know, pass catchers Mm -hmm. running the ball versus run defense. The big advantage on either side is the Aaron Donald Von Miller versus the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line. But I, I really like the scheme that they're going to be able to come up with because they had two extra weeks to be able to come up with how are we going to run the ball? We're going to run it at Aaron Donald. We're going to run it at Von Miller. We're going to set up the play action off of that. Once the run game is working, Joe Mixon, he's going to have a big game because he's going to get a lot of carries because they want that balance. Mm-hmm. And then when it is time to throw the football, they're going to be able to attack the, the middle of the field with, Uzama, I think he's going to be back from that MCL sprain, and I think he's going to be able to have a big game in the middle of the field because, like you mentioned, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase are guys that they're going to have circled the entire week, figuring out, all right, these are the people that we have to stop. That should open up the game for Uzama. Um, And when they do throw the football, adding an extra player to help with Aaron Donald, whether that be a tight end or the slide and the protection, I think should be enough to be able to limit what those guys can do to change the game. I, I think those are great points, man. I, I love it. I, can't, I know I'm biased. Joe Burrow is interesting because I feel like he may now be the most liked player in the NFL. Universally liked. And I think... And nobody hates him. Nobody hates him. Again, they're even digging up old tweets and it makes you like him more. And that's such a rare thing mm-hmm. for anybody. Like, he is just... I feel like he is directly affecting people's Super Bowl pick because people want to see him win. They want to see him win a Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. The bias is coming out big time. The bias is coming out in everybody just because everyone likes him. Like, I've been on calls um, with people who are literally fans from across the league, even people who work for different teams. And they're all like, yo, man, I just love Joe Burrow. He's a really hard guy to dislike. So I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is probably – I'm sure Vegas probably feels that too. They're probably like, what the hell? This this is probably messing up their line because everyone's betting with their heart for Joe Burrow. Vegas is loving it because all these irrational people are betting on Cincinnati because they love Joe Burrow. And instead of looking at the hardcore, we're gonna make so much money. (laughs) So, all right, give me a score prediction. Super Bowl. Yeah, I like it. uh, Twenty four, twenty one maybe a little bit lower scoring than people think because Uh typically the beginning of these games can be a little bit clunky when you have two weeks to prepare you can look vastly different than uh your tendencies than what you've looked like going into this the playoffs and the super bowl is all about like these little individual matchups but when you're going against something that you don't predict and you didn't expect it takes a little bit of while while to like sort of 
sharpen the edges on everything that you're trying to do and hone in on your game plan to be able to sort of attack what mm -hmm. the new look version of the other team is. Um, so I think it'll be a little bit clunky early on, but the second half will be a little bit more smooth, what we kind of expect with some, some more points being scored back and the ball just kind of going back and forth a little bit more um, than the first half. I love the Bengals because they're so young and dumb, man. You know, like they don't know what they don't know and it benefits them so much. They never know when they're out of it. You know, like we will play games and when we go down, 17 we're like yeah that the probability of us coming back is so slim save your energy save your your heart rate save your anxiety it's over the Bengals don't have that and so i do expect the rams mm -hmm. to get out early on them but then joe burrow mm -hmm. like he always does will figure it out and surge back so i have them winning 31 to 28 um mm -hmm. and, and i have a big game from joe burrow i think he's going to get beat up a little bit i think he's going to get sacked um, mm -hmm. I think what he does really well is adjusting to what he sees coming at him and adjusting his play mm -hmm. based on what's necessary and needed from a protection standpoint, from how quickly he gets the ball out to where he goes with the football, where he sets his eyes. He is very, very advanced in that way. And I just, yeah, I think that, I think the Bengals pull it out. And Joe Burrow's the MVP, right? Nope. T Higgins <laughs> as well, but I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to tease what we're getting into here. So we'll talk about that next segment. All right, Joe, it's Super Bowl week. Uh, I don't know if you may have heard that. There's a lot of news going on, so sometimes that's gotten a little drowned. My Bengals are in the big show, Joe. I know you're a little jealous because you've only played for one team your career. Luckily, I've played for many. Actually, I was a Ram, too, for one day. So technically, this is a Hawk Bowl. Who would have thought? Anyway, you know, people I've, I've heard will be putting money on this game. I've, I've heard that a time or two. And I don't know much about betting because we were never allowed to do it as players. Um, and it was very illegal. So put that on the record. I don't know anything about betting, but I know someone who does. My blood cousin, Cousin Sal, the co-creator of the Extra Points Podcast Network and co-host of Fox Bet Live on FS1. And he's been kind enough to join us to talk a little prop bets. Sal, how you doing today, my friend? What's happening, Hawk? Joe, thanks for having me. By the way, I forgot that you were a Ram for a day, and this that's going to make it all all sweet. Uh, how when, when the Bengals win the Super Bowl, you will be able to stick mm. it to the Rams, and I'm sure Sean McVay <laughs> will mention something about making a mistake, letting you go as in the post-game presser. I could see <laughs> I it mean, all. We're all looking forward to it, Sal. I'm not going to lie yeah. to you. All right, so we're going to play a little game here. We're just going to pick a lot of prop bets. And we're all going to bet on it. That's simple. But I feel like you're going to be really good at these, Sal, because Joe and I are terrible at A, picking games, and also B, mm -hmm. bets in general. I don't think so. I, I, I lose a lot of money every week. So, but Really? I mean, this could just be another prediction I'm wrong about that, that I'm going to lose. So who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, that's the rules. They're pretty simple. Uh, okay. Different prop bets, and we'll each take turns betting on them. Easy enough. All right. First up, here we go. Who is going to win the Super Bowl MVP? Here's the options. We got Matt Stafford. He's the betting favorite with uh, plus 100. Joe Burrow, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, Jamar Chase, Odell Beckham, bigger time underdog, plus 2,000. Who you got? We'll give you the floor first, Al. Okay, I'm going to say, uh, well, yeah, you have to work backwards, right? So I think the Bengals are going to win the Super Bowl. So I like Joe Burrow. I think he's mm. about plus 230, okay. which is better than taking the Bengals mm. straight up at plus 166. Quarterback has won nine of the last 12 years, but I don't mind taking a flyer mm. on Mixon there. But my official bet uh, is Joe Burrow. Mm, I like that. Joe, mm. what do you got? 
Yeah, I like that one. And when you're going to look at who's going to be the Super Bowl MVP, like Sal said, it's all about the quarterback. Unless there's just some monumental collapse of both of these quarterbacks, it's going to be the quarterback of the winning team, especially for these guys who are both first-time quarterbacks playing in their first uh, Super Bowl. The people that vote, they want these guys to be the MVP. And like he's, like Sal said, Joe Burrow is going to come through because he's Joe Cool Burrow. And he's going to do the same thing that he's been doing throughout the playoffs and be huge down the stretch, and it's going to be an easy shoe-in for MVP. Okay, that, that doesn't sound like fun. Here's one for you. It's not on the okay. list. Perfect. Yeah. I'm putting my money on T. Higgins. Andrew Hawkins. Here's why. Ooh, Higgins. Nice. I would imagine at least two of the other uh, 12 that weren't quarterbacks were receivers. You're right. Jamar's going to be matched up against Jalen Ramsey. I've heard he's pretty good. Joe Burrow mm. doesn't have an offensive line playing in this game. Everyone, that's what I, that's all I've read. Uh-huh. Aaron Donald, uh-huh. Von Miller will be on him, but Joe Burrow will do good. But the the guy who's going to rise to the top is T. Higgins. He's going to be the difference maker. I got two touchdowns for T. Higgins. The Bengals win, and he goes home to Super Bowl MVP. Mm. Nice. Let me real quickly interrupt. What Evan McPherson is a hundred to one. What would have to happen for him to? I mean, he would have to, he'd have to kick four field goals in a low scoring yeah. game, right? Couldn't four field it. goals, yes. low scoring game, and one of them probably had to be seventy yards plus. That's right. At the buzzer, right? Seventy one okay. yarder. If T. Higgins is the MVP, that means that Joe Burrow doesn't play in the <laughs> he second didn't make half. It. That's all I'm saying. So I wouldn't exactly right. bet on that because oh. if he's got two touchdowns, he's going to be the MVP because everybody loves him That's going true. into this game, and he's only going to further solidify the hearts of america so hawk i'm sorry you're wrong (laughs) all right what's next joe what happens first is it going to be a touchdown or a sack and apparently the touchdown is a slight favorite cousin sal why don't you go first you say the touchdown's a slight favorite because it's a slight favorite the number is five and a half for both five and a half touchdowns are expected and five and a half sacks are expected in this Mm. game so Mm. uh I will say the touchdown. I, you know, this is just a, a coin flip, but the coin flip's also a coin flip. I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm going to say I'm going to say a touchdown happens first, and uh, the the Bengals fend off the Rams' pass rush at least uh, early on. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with sack because I'm gonna say the Bengals get the ball first, <clears> and there's gonna be a, even <throat> on a touchdown drive, there's gonna be a sack to start the game. Aaron Donald's <clears> fresh. <throat> he's he's well hydrated. He's not tired. <clears throat> He's going to go sack him at least once. Aaron Donald's uh, online too because he doesn't get tired, and so he's feeling a little bit disrespected right now, Hawk. Uh, It's actually (laughs) going to be a touchdown um, because, as everybody knows, everybody's got – both teams have their opening script of 15 plays. And the one thing we've been talking about for two weeks is how are we going to block Aaron Donald and Von Miller? They're going to have a good game plan to start. They're not going to put that offensive line in a precarious situation to get Joe Burrow's head cut off in the first quarter in their opening drive. So they're not going to give up a sack uh, among those first 15 plays. There's going to be a lot of play action. There's going to be runs. There's going to be quick throws. They're not going to expose Joe Burrow to those hits right off the bat. So touchdown it is. All right. I'm not going to argue that. My heart loves that. All right. Next one. What will the jersey number of the first player to score a touchdown be? Is it going to be a number one through nine, which will include the quarterbacks, Chase, Beckham, Uh and Jalen Ramsey? Slight favorite. Will it be a number 10 through 20? Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson in that area. 21 through 30 includes uh, Mixon, Akers, uh, Sonny Michelle, and all the corners. 81 through 90 includes Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Azoma, Blanton, and Higby. Sal, the floor is yours. 
Um, I actually think the first score will be topless, much like Antonio Brown. Nice. So you won't be able to read his number. No, I'm gonna go. Um, I'm gonna go 21 to 30 because I think you get decent odds on that. I forgot what it was, but plus plus 250, something something like that. Uh, all the guys you mentioned, um, Acres, Sony mm. Michelle, Mixon, and uh, it could be like a Jalen Ramsey type runs one back or or something like mm. that. I do think somebody, maybe both teams' running games are gonna work early on. And both coaches, Taylor and McVay, will lean on that. So I like uh, for first touchdown in the uh, 20, 21 to 30 range, Jersey. Joe, what do you got? Yeah, I actually like D. I like 81 to 90 because, like you said, I, I think both teams are going to have a good plan to take away their main guys to start. And so Tyler Board, T, T. Higgins, Uzama, I think those are the guys that are going to have to step up early on in the game and they're going to get targeted early and often, especially into that middle of that Rams defense for the Bengals. Um, that's mm. where I think they're going to be able to kind of get after them a little bit. Um, so I like those, especially because the odds are going to be a little bit better in that situation. Also, Joe slipped and called him Tyler Board. I hope I hope that doesn't. I hope it's not a low scoring nothing game. Wow! All right, <laughs> we're gonna have beef. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, ten through twenty because there's no way. I think I think the Rams get on the board first, and if Stafford gets within thirty yards of the end zone, he will throw to Cooper Cup mm. with every single uh -huh. down that he has. Because that's what he does. He loves to throw the cup. There, he is absolutely going to make sure that he scores a touchdown. Like I think it's really in his head that he's going to make sure he scores a touchdown. After the season he's had, uh -huh. I like those odds. All right, let's get to some more exotic ones here. This is my favorite one always. What color Gatorade will be poured on the winning coach? And the reason why I love this is because this is one you can actually find out. And it, it always boggled my mind as a player. You could literally find this out weeks in advance of what Gatorade will be on the sideline mm. because it's not an infinite amount. And wow. we like, I, yeah. I just like, I don't get how someone hasn't made a bajillion dollars off of this bet, but Sal, go ahead. What do you think? Well, you know, I actually lost a friendship over this bet. I bet my buddy, uh, Daniel, that it would be blue. And he said green <laughs> and everything reported that it was blue. And he thought he saw a tinge of green and we argued and argued, argued and said, you know what, let's just, let's just never speak to each other again. I'm going to go orange. Uh, I think it's going to be, first of all, it's been orange or blue eight out of the last 11 years. So that's regardless of who's mm. playing. Bengals are orange. They're going to win the Super Bowl. Orange Man. is easy enough for me. Joe, before you go, is this not the most cheatable prop bet? Like, you don't think a trainer is going to be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make sure it's blue. Go put 700 grand on blue. I'm I'm not a, a betting person because we're uh, legally not allowed to with our position in the NFL. But Sal, I, I, I'm wondering, you know, if somebody walked up to Vegas and put like a couple million dollars on this bet, I'm pretty sure there'd be a little investigation and there might be some yeah. questions of the trainers and the people that are filling the Gatorade on both sidelines because right. uh, that's kind of a red flag there, Hawk. Well, they, you know, they do. I, I will tell you, they don't let you get rich off this prop. They do have limits on some of these exotics for that exact reason you're bringing up because the <laughs> Anthem length okay. could be fixed. The Gatorade could be fixed. Mm, so, yeah, yeah, they, uh, they, yeah. They, they monitor it. Okay. Yeah. All right. That yeah. makes sense. Joe, who you got here? You know, I like yellow. I, I feel like it's the underdog. Uh, it's probably going to give some guys heartburn on the sideline, having all that extra acid in their uh, Gatorade. But to me, it just seems like this is a yellow year. It's a little bit different. A couple teams we're not used to seeing in the Super Bowl. So it's going to be one of those Gatorade colors we're not used to seeing. Yeah. The other thing is if you're picking the Bengals, they're – well, they go yellow and orange. Yeah. That's a tough one. I'm going to go orange. <laughs> orange Gatorade. That's a tough one. That's what it is. 
Orange. All right, what do we got next? All right, the next one, over or under 95 seconds in length for the national anthem. Last year was 2 minutes and 17 seconds, and the average length is 156. I mean, you talk about a fixable day. I mean, I, I've had this I, I've lost one. a lot of money on the anthem, but you know, before the game even kicks off, between coin tosses mm-hmm. and anthems, so she's been clocked. This Mickey mm-hmm. Guyton has been clocked at seventy six seconds, and that's why any footage you mm-hmm. see of her singing the anthem is at seventy six. 75 seconds and that's why the over under is so much less than uh joe you pointed out the total has been over the years but mm-hmm. i think she owns it i think she uh she mm-hmm. she goes after it she holds on and mm-hmm. i'll go over even though everything wow. suggests it would go under. yeah mm, hawk yeah man see this is another one like how, how i typically do it <laughs> is if it's a black singer i say over oh because it's it's in our culture that they they hold the notes they right. hold the notes a little longer especially mm. when all the eyeballs mm. are running so I, Mickey Guyton is a black singer I'm gonna mm. go with over uh-huh. I think this is what I feel really confident mm. in because she's gonna showcase her voice mm-hmm. this is this is how we do it man what do you got Joe boy I I never would have thought that I would have thought this much about the anthem and you guys got me kind of getting a little nervous here, but uh, I'm going to stick with my guns and I'm going to go under and just based on past performance, you know, 76 seconds on Memorial day. I like that little bit of inside baseball, inside knowledge there. Um, And I think she's going to maybe stretch it out a little bit, but not quite past 95 seconds. A lot of times the singer will hold the last note. It'll come down to very close to the last second. And then the director cuts away to the fighter jets and you can't hear the last note for the 20 set. You have no idea if he or she held it or not. So it becomes a disaster. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to change my answer to under because she's a country singer, too, though. (laughs) And country singer. I mean, that's more the (laughs) this is a tough one. I'm going to go under now. I'm changing because it's a country singer. All right, last one. How many commercials will have a baby in them? This is a good one. Over or under two? The over is the slight favorite, Sal. Right. You know, I'm going to say exactly two. This is something else you could probably find out if you were diligent, Mm, right? But I think people in general are sick of babies. They Mm. can't stand the sight of them. And so uh, babies (laughs) are on the way out. And so we'll keep Mm. it at exactly two. I like that. I like that take. What do you got, Joe? baby's not cool anymore so don't do it nah. if anybody's listening <laughs> yeah. and thinking about it no i actually i'm taking the opposite i like the over i feel like you know coming out of the pandemic everyone's feeling sad and sorry and you know what makes you feel happier and better than just like a baby that's not yours oh. yeah no or a baby that is yours because in a pandemic everyone was shutting the house and i would imagine that produced a lot more babies <laughs> right. than we were used to seeing so that means there's a lot more talent out there there's more working babies than ever before. Oh, wow. I'm taking the over. Oh, wow. You really that. thought yeah. about this. Deep, yeah. That was insightful. Absolutely. A lot of show babies. So <laughs> I think, and they're cheap. I have my son in commercials. I never have to pay him. It's awesome. Um, all right. Well, that does it for our prop bets. I feel really good about this. Now, if anyone. Who won? Did we win? Oh, no one, no one wins? We, well, we have to find out. Yeah. We, we find have to, out later, I, I guess. think we figure it out. Somebody out there put money on each of our picks. Yeah. Let us know. You know, if you got if you had to give up your house, but if you won, that's how we'll figure out who won, Sal. Right. Okay. And the uh, and the loser gets a baby. I think that's fair enough. The loser yeah. gets a, right. a show baby, a show baby, not just a regular. <laughs> exactly. Baby. You, you get a show baby. Uh, but Sal, we appreciate it, man. I'm going to talk to you yes. actually very soon because I'm coming on your show next. This is a home in a way, kind of like the that's college right. football home teams home, do. Yep. When it, one on my turf, one on your turf. So I'll see you soon. But thank you, my friend, for joining us here on the Tom and Hawk Football Show. And that does it for today's episode of the Tom and Hawk Football Show. Make sure you tune in again next week. 
And don't forget to add the Tom and Hawk Football Show Flash Briefing in your Alexa app. And then tell Alexa, play my Flash Briefing to hear the Monday minicast through your Echo device. Joe, any closing thoughts? Yeah, what do you call a wizard who's really bad at football? What do you call a wizard who is really bad at football? What is it? It's Fumbledore, obviously. <laughs> and I'm not a big Harry Potter person, but my oldest daughter, who's eight, is. And uh, <laughs> she's laughing somewhere. Yeah. I don't know if you're a Harry Potter person or not. I'm not, man. But I do know Dumbledore. <laughs> and I, I get it. So hopefully our Cincinnati Bengals are not Fumbledore this week in The Wizard. <laughs> yes, I agree. All right, brother. Take us out, man. Joe Hawk yourself.